G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Audio Podcast uh, Preview Round 16 edition. As I say, uh, very good morning to you, Mark Fine. Morning, Roko. How are you? Yeah, very well. I've got a, a big day of cooking ahead of me. Oh, that's interesting. Maybe we can do a podcast about that at some stage. I'm, uh, I'm struggling a bit, I've got to say, uh, for various reasons, one of them being... World Cup viewing fatigue. The all the bizarre hours are starting to catch up with me, but it has been a great tournament. It has, and I think uh, followers of the EPL, of which there are many in Australia, are enjoying the fact that England are going deeper than normal or have the potential, certainly with the way the draws panned out, to go all the way to the finals. Big opportunity. And uh, footy, not too shabby after last weekend, I think it's fair to say. Um, I actually thought there might be more of a uh, kickback against the change the game brigade um, after the events of last week. I'm sort of glad there hasn't been because... Uh, I think that would be an overreaction. You know, this is something that needs to be based on trends over several seasons, not just like one week of great footy and then one week of poor footy. Unfortunately, that's a bit reflective of the way the commentary on stuff works now, that there's a lot of knee-jerk reactions. But it was pretty remarkable. The the stat out of last weekend that I thought was most amazing was that um, leading up to the Bulldogs-Geelong game, we'd had 118 games this season, only two of them had both sides past 100 points. Last weekend, there were three. Do you believe it's possible that the meeting that the coaches had at Gil McLaughlin's house over fine food and beverage, there was an, a, a sort of an unwritten, unpublished, un, not discussed, but uh, an agreement, some detente reached, where coaches admitted that they played a serious role in the defensive um, stagnation of the game and that they played a role in congestion and there was sort of this unspoken gentleman's agreement now that we don't drop players behind the ball because gee from game one there seemed to be far less one extra in the back line. Uh, I don't I'd love to think that was the case. I don't because midway through a season, I think it would be a sort of unrealistic expectation. B, uh, I find it impossible to believe that if that had happened, it wouldn't have got out. Yeah. Given, I mean, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, but look, it was um, it was a round that I think restored some flagging interest in the course of this season. And um, yeah, look, I'm I'm I have been in the. Uh, camp that says we do need some sort of legislative change. But, um, you know, I think if, well, let's have a look at the second half of the season. I mean, if we, we get similar sort of football and maybe what we're saying 
uh, maybe what you're suggesting might have proved to be the so case. So watch this space. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, look, no doubt the story of this week uh, is the retirement of Cyril Rioli. And um, I've got to say, some people are saying, oh, you know, it wasn't a surprise because he'd had been on indefinite leave anyway. But, geez, I was shocked when I heard it yesterday. Uh Yes, I was. I, the timing of the announcement, the fact that he's 28 years of age and body notwithstanding, if he lined up tomorrow against your team fully fit, he'd still be one of the players that would worry you most about taking the win away from your team. This is, though, the expected method of retirement, reason for retirement, very close with his family at the top end of Australia and beyond the island's uh, that uh, Tiwi and the family pull is very close. It's um, something we spoke about last week when we spoke about the concerns of Indigenous players in AFL football was how deep those ties bind mm. and good on him. He's, the family needs him and in Aboriginal culture, uh, when, you're, when you become a man, you have certain responsibilities to your immediate family and beyond that are not negotiable and it's obviously time for him to take his position as a family leader. So 11 seasons, he's played 189 games. Um, you know, I was trying to think when I heard the news, you know, where does he stand in the, the pantheon of of modern greats? He's one of those players who I think in 50 years' time when you look at the stats you won't necessarily get the full picture of his impact because, as Alistair Clarkson said it best, I've never seen a player do so much damage with so few disposals. And it's spot on. His career average disposals is 15.1. But to me, and I, I sort of debated this a bit on social media yesterday, I think he change the role of a small forward. Now, we've had other small forwards who've been able to exert defensive pressure, but I don't think to the same level that Cyril did. To me, that was a real game-changer and and pivotal in Hawthorne um, becoming the power that it it became. Spot on, Rowan Connolly. This is why I do catch up with you every week to talk football, because they're the little insights that bear discussing and... I think he absolutely changed the game. I think before Cyril, if there was a defensive forward, it was to lock down on a single player. A dangerous half-back flanker, a running back pocket, one-on-one, take care of him. Cyril Rioli provided that manic forward line pressure that resulted in turnovers and goals. I think his legacy will be four premierships, one Norm Smith medal, and being the man for the big stage, certainly during September. I also believe firmly that he did change the game, that that intense pressure now being a load shared by three or four at Richmond is what teams look for as sometimes the final piece in the puzzle to win premierships. Mm. And I'll never forget, there was a game at the MCG, not a final. I can't remember who it was. Maybe you can help me. And he started the debate on prior opportunity because he tackled somebody so quickly and the umpire chose not to pay a free kick for holding the ball. And the question was, given the separation between Cyril and the player he was tackling, any other player in the league would have won that free kick. I think it might have been 
actually a big game. I think it was one of those Hawthorne Geelong epics and a Geelong play. He yeah, tackled could, a Geelong well, play well, right in the last few minutes. Oh, it, was, it was pivotal to the game. Yeah, no, I'm pretty sure it was that one of those Hawthorne Geelong games. So the question was, is it fair that because Cyril is, you know, quick as a quick as a, a leopard? Mm. Is that fair that he almost is penalised for the prior opportunity? <laughs> and ever since then, I think it's shortened the amount of time for prior opportunity. And certainly, if there is separation between a player and the person tackling him, mm. bad luck. But, yeah, it, it really brought up that discussion, didn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, th- I think... Um I think it, it, I've enjoyed the highlighting of that uh, incident in the 2008 grand final out in the members' wing when he fought that one-on-two battle against Corey Enright and, and Max Rook because uh, I remember watching that. I mean, it was a grand final, so you sort of, everything seems to have more importance. But I remember watching that moment and thinking, geez, I, I didn't realise this guy was that good. Is that is that the game that obviously he and, in a way, Stuart Dew were credited with this incredible upset because it was Hawthorne before their time. Mm. Is that when Cyril Rioli became a headline and he remained one ever since? No doubt. Absolutely no doubt. Um, Did he deserve to remain one throughout his career? Yeah, I, I think so. And I, I know it's an interesting one, this, and we could actually discuss this at some stage in Media Watch. I think there's been almost a backlash uh, about him from the average punter because of the amount to which he's eulogised by commentators. But that's not The one him. in particular. Yeah, yeah, special. But uh, no, hang Delicious. on. Delicious. But that's not his fault. Um, and and I think it's, it's hard to articulate, really, but you said it before. I mean, a lot of the stuff that he's done doesn't show up statistically. And you talked about turnovers. He created turnovers not just with the tackling and the harassment, but implied pressure. Which is what clubs strive for. Yeah. You know that your team... I know that St Kilda during the 2008, 9, 10, 11 period when they were a good side, it was the implication of you were about to be tackled yeah. that makes you the team. Yeah. The implied pressure, because you can't always make the tackle, but to play 100 minutes of football in the headlights... You need players like Silver Rioli, and that's I, I think once again you've hit the nail on the head there. Yeah, so that um, you know, two thousand eight grand final, the the launching of of the Cyril legend, I guess. The other individual performance that obviously is noteworthy is the two thousand fifteen grand final, where he won the Norm Smith Medal, and he won the. Um, I checked the uh, the stats for that. He ended up with eighteen disposals and two goals. Now we've seen. Uh, defenders have won Norm Smith medals. Um, uh, Brian Lake won one in 2013. But has there been a non-defender win a Norm Smith with as few disposals as that? 18 disposals. But again, no. it said everything, didn't it? He kicked two of Hawthorne's first three goals that day. There are a couple of tackles. Uh, one in the, I think, second or third quarter in which he mowed down a, a West Coast player uh, running out, out of the 50 with the ball. Um, and again, you know, like if, and he, he did have the odd high possession game, but gee, you know, if you can do that much damage with 15 to 18 touches, uh, everyone would love a player like that. And, and that sort of implied, uh, pressure, um, it sort of worked in a, in an offensive way too, that 
any time he was in the vicinity, you just expected something to happen. So I can see why he had the impact on Bruce, etc. that he's had. And it's sort of unfortunate. That, and I understand why people get a bit shirty with a constant lionisation of him. But, uh, gee, he's been a, a fantastic player to watch. A couple of observations. First, he flew for some great marks. He took some very good marks. He did. I'm surprised he didn't take a, a, a mark... A memorable mark of note, like a, a mark of the season. Yeah, there were a few. I, th- I reckon there were a few sort of almost. Correct. You know? Yeah. Correct. Um, to the divergent path that those two 2008 Hawthorne Grand Final heroes have taken since Cyril Rioli and Stuart Duke. Yeah. I mean, Cyril's just retired. Stuart's finding out that coaching the misfits of the AFL is a tough life. <laughs> Well, so, uh, you know, if you if you your point was about longevity, Stewart had already retired uh, at that point once, you know. <laughs> and that's right. And third, a bit of a personal take on Cyril Rioli that I'd actually heard about Cyril before he ever started playing league football. Yeah. Um, now, a very good mate of mine. I don't need to mention him. He was actually a very good footballer. Um, played for Richmond for one season, played one of the reserves best and fairest display, played night games, but then went back to the Amos. Um, his son went to Scotch College. And there there was a, a three... That basically, they were three very close mates himself, Nick Smith and Cyril Rioli. And Cyril was part of a program that saw young uh, traditional Indigenous sports people, not just footballers, uh, come to Melbourne to complete their schooling with the idea that they would be furthering their sporting careers in a capital city and to make that transition possible because to go straight from traditional Indigenous life to big city life is very difficult. We've seen that with Liam Jarrah, etc. Spoke about it last week. Um, so Cyril spent quite a, uh, quite a few nights, dinners, etc. at my mate's house mm. and they knew he was a great footballer. And we know that Cyril's been fairly quiet, etc. But just became a sort of a much-loved member of the family, almost. Um, Interesting, fun, and much-loved by the family. So I can only assume that away from the obvious interviews that he's done and moments that he's had in the media, even though he is a quiet family type, he will be a much-missed because, you know, an integral part of the Hawthorne family, that loyalty that he shows to his family up north would also, from what I understand, have been transplanted to his love for Hawthorne and love love for his close friends. Yeah, no, no, well said. And I, I've got to say, too, I, I've never interviewed him at length, like for a, you know, a newspaper feature or whatever, but I have done him a couple of times post-game for SEN, and every single time I've come away thinking, yeah, he is quiet, that is a reputation, but he he spoke really well, and you could see his insight into the game, and he was was very at ease. He he just strikes me as a a really decent bloke, you know, so, um, and... We probably don't have enough players anymore who are universally loved by fans of all clubs, not just the club they play for. So to lose one, um, it's sad, but, uh, yeah, I think it's a time where we all sort of celebrate one of the great modern-day careers, I think. And isn't it funny that he and Nick Smith, who were best friends, would be part 
of teams that were very strong and met each other in grand finals over two grand finals over their career. Mm. And in this time of players not really having positions, isn't it funny that one was a permanent small half-forward flanker and the other was a permanent small lockdown backman? Yeah. So they played on each other every game for every minute. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, they were both both available. It's good there's still room for those sort of stories. Now, uh, quickly, the, uh, another huge news story this week, um, and you found a football context for it: the basket brawl between Australia and the Philippines. I'm sure everyone's across that now. What uh, I must say, I saw it with the same horror as everyone else. Um, what did you think that sort of told us in a footy? context. Yeah, it did, did tell me something, how hysterical media reaction can be and how that seeps into areas beyond the media, because I, I think Julie Bishop, in fact, mentioned it, and it became a matter of uh, importance for the Australian public through a politician. Wasn't it a brawl? I understand that there was some um, input from the crowd. Now, I heard early takes of this an Australian player had been struck by a chair, that, that seating had been rained upon the Australian team. Difficult, given that all the seating in the stadium was affixed. And, in fact, what struck the Australian player was one cushion. So that's a little bit different. No, hang on, I did see a chair. There was, I did see a chair thrown. No, it was in, a cushion. In, in that, the... red, that red thing that struck the player. What hit a player was a cushion. Pretty big cushion. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they had big cushions on that. They had these cushions on the seats. Okay. If there was a chair, if there was a chair, yeah. I saw some chairs being moved around. They were the courtside sort of seating for, for, um, and this was what was unfortunate was that officials and security people got involved as well. Mm. Um, I'm not saying it was a minor matter, mm. but I really appreciated the response of. Is it the Australian Basketball Basketball Australia head? And he said, you know, we wait, wait until FIBA hands out their penalties and act accordingly. This is something that needs to be dealt with by officials. Um, you know, I think it was started by an elbow, to be honest, by an Australian. I think he started it mm. after an offensive foul. There was a, a, a... Oh, well, Golding got sort of put on his bum and then... Uh, well, that was an offensive charge. And then that, kick, kick it reacted with well, the forearm. Well, that was the thing, forearm. the f- forearm. And, yeah. and why it went. But so what's the footy context then? Well, we have melees in football. Yeah. You put a melee, and some of them are, uh, you know, they're fairly serious push and shove, and, you know, now, if you put, say, a melee, if you take it out of context and put it onto a basketball court, mm. it's 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 a quite a confronting scene. Yeah. Everybody, you know, tw- 20 players jumping into each other. Yeah. How long before the hysterical brigade... You know, the Reverend Lovejoy's wife, think about the children. The what-ifs, the worst-case scenario people out there, grab a hold of the melee and say, you know, what if somebody gets hit in the head? We can't have 20 people jumping in. What example does that set for our children? What if that happened in the street after a nightclub? You know, really? But it'll happen. And at the moment, we hand out fines. Mm. Don't be surprised if the What If Brigade get hold of Australian rules football and the knee-jerk reaction means that we're going to have mass suspensions, you know, mass overreactions, because you know what, Rowan? 
Did you watch that game between Australia and the Philippines live? No. But you've seen the incident? Yeah. You made a beeline to see it? Uh, yeah. I did. Yeah. Was there anything else in that game that would have made you rush to the highlights of Australia-Philippines? No. For public consumption, everybody that rushed to see it and was then on radio or TV had to say they were horrified. Okay, so... But in fact, they went and watched it. So, yeah. And enjoyed it. Yeah, well, it's a car crash sort of thing, isn't it? No, no, not a car crash. I found it... You know, I watched it. I watched it more than once, and I wasn't horrified. I was just, you know, in part laughing and in part shocked and whatever. But why? Why we? Why is that the worst thing that's ever happened? Well, as far as footy's concerned, I, I doubt we're ever going to get a brawl on the scale of the nineteen ninety grand final again. There was a there was interestingly halftime the Essen North game last weekend. There was a bit yeah of, that was heated yeah, heated. Uh, and it went on for a bit. But you don't expect them to get completely out of hand anymore. No, true. How do you think the 1990 grand final brawl, where it's happened now, would be uh, reported? Shock, horror. And it was at the time, actually. I mean, it was, but it'd be off the charts. Off the charts. What if suspension, lifetime bans? What do the people overseas think about it? Yeah. I'm not saying that we cater for people that want to see violence in sport. You don't cater for it, Mm. but you deal with it. Under the under the um, rules and regulations of the sport, put in place to deal with such matters. Yeah, it doesn't have to run beyond that to a matter of national importance. Well, I was going to say uh, there'd be a, a mass calling for someone's head, and if someone was summarily dismissed, then everyone forget about it and we'd move on. Which, you know what? I, you which, know, which sorry. Which, which brings us now. Go on. Oh, just very quickly. You know what the national, the natural course of action in these matters is. What incident? Yeah. Reaction growing to overreaction. Yeah. Serious penalty imposed. Yeah. Then reaction to penalty, public sympathy for the person penalised being overpenalised, penance paid. And redemption, redemption. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, Spot it's on. a well-worn path. Uh, I was going to say, yeah, there'd be a mass calling for someone's head, and then someone would be dismissed, and uh, we'd all forget about it again. Which brings us to our next segment on Footyology Media Watch. Right then, always plenty to discuss on this segment, and uh, I think it's been a, a few days now, but it, it's gone on a bit. I think, uh, finally, we need to talk about Barry. And when I say Barry, I mean, of course, Barry Hall, um, sacked on the spot on Triple M footy last Friday night after some pretty unsavoury comments about a medical procedure, uh, a pregnancy procedure involving Lee Montagna's Wife, um, so Barry Hall sacked on the spot. Everyone else survives. Uh, a bit of commentary. It appears like everyone's moved on. Um, I've had a I've had a range of thoughts about it. I heard it initially, and I thought, "Oh my god, I can't believe you said that on radio." And then I thought, "Well, why were you guys even talking about that?" And then, like a few other people, I thought, "Gee." Uh, Hall's a bit of a scapegoat here, isn't he, given what other people were saying and contributing. And then I think I sort of started thinking about it in a 
broader context, which is that whole thing about male culture. So I've got a few thoughts about that, a little bit D&M, but what, what was your take on the whole thing? All right, superficially, I would have thought Barry Hall's pretty unlucky to be singled out and sacked summarily, given that he didn't bring up the topic and Montaigne's own take on the a procedure for his wife's pregnancy or pre-pregnancy test from a gynecologist opened the door for a clearly thoughtless response from Barry. So I just thought he was, you know, it was, I was surprised that he was um, hung, drawn and quartered and at least publicly nothing else done. Now there are suggestions that Lee Montagna was close to also being removed, but um, there might have been intervention and some counselling and some education. Intervention from home. Probably his manager. Okay. Has been the scuttlebutt, but yeah. that is unproven. Nevertheless, yeah, it seemed as though Barry was hung out to dry summarily. But um, part of why I think he was unfortunate is because he didn't bring up the topic and B, because there is this... Um, blokey overlay to everything that Triple M does from their playlist to their you know prizes to their advertising they clearly are you know in in the world of FM radio there are three or four stations aimed at young girls and, and females beyond and Triple M is the tradies station so I'm interested to get your take well, do you think that, uh, yeah, well, f- first, um, Barry Hall was a, an easy target because he's, he, he's sort of part time in that role for them. Yep. He's not, since he left Fox footy, he's not necessarily that high profile. And he's got a, um, you know, a, uh, incident laden past. So, you know, people will sort of look at that and reconcile it more easily. Um, that whole Triple M blokey culture thing. Does that really, on their part, undersell what young men are like today? Because I think it does. I, I really do. I, like I, yeah, good call. Uh, you know, I, I think society changes reasonably quickly now, and I think that, um, you know, I, I deal with enough young men. Well, footballers for starters, but you know, young guys in their twenties to early thirties, and I, I think they're significantly different from young guys of that age group even 15 20 years ago so to me i i hear the sort of description of that culture in terms of the sort of things they like and the sort of things they believe and i reckon it's uh i reckon it doesn't do that demographic justice i think they're more sophisticated than that yeah good call so, and these things can be a self-fulfilling prophecy you create that environment and young men heading from probably from school into the less um, filtered world of of university or of working, leaving home, are still um, they, they can still be their, their thoughts and their attitudes still very much are moulded by societal norms. And if that if they listen to Triple M all day and they take that as being a societal norm, then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because they cater towards a, a blokey football club room mentality that may not exist until they until they 
sort of um, allow it to flourish until they feed it. Yeah, yeah. So, so they have a. I'm not saying they have a social responsibility to steer away from that, but they are in part helping or can or allowing something to flourish that might be dying without their assistance. Yeah, does that make sense. Yeah, it does. It does. Um, uh, another couple of aspects to this. One, and and you could transplant this to any number of subjects. Media outrage, it always, you know, sort of boils up and there's this sort of demand for a scalp. Someone has to be sacked. And then someone's sacked and it's sort of like the people leading the charge for that sacking is sort of, right, okay, well, that's done. That'll fix it. And this, to me, is the classic case um, that it, it doesn't fix it. It doesn't really do anything to address what should be the main concern. Now, don't get me wrong here. I'm not saying... Uh, I'm not necessarily saying Barry Hall shouldn't have been sacked. I, I think it was a, a extraordinarily gross thing to say on radio. So I understand that. But the, if if the people saying He's, he must be sacked uh, after he is sacked, then sort of completely withdraw from a discussion, you have to doubt the sincerity of their disgust. Because the issue here is a cultural one, and this is where it all gets a bit D&M. But I was thinking about that scenario in which that conversation was held, right? So you're in a, in a blokey environment, and you've got Barry Hall, Lee Montagna, Mark Howard, and Damien Barrett. Now, um, I know all those guys, and uh, Howie and Damien in particular, I've got a lot of regard for. I, I think they're... I, genuinely like them as people and I think they're both pretty intelligent people and um, I, I know that uh, in no way would I ever think that they were misogynistic or, or even chauvinist. I think they are pretty uh, contemporary in their views about women and, and society and, and you name it. So I've got a lot of regard for them. And there's been a lot of people saying, and I, again, I understand this, people saying, well, they were laughing along, they were... And I put myself in, in that position and it made me think back to a lot of radio experiences I've had um, where I've been in that group, you know, a preview show or a review show or whatever and a group of footy people sitting around on air. Someone says something which clearly crosses a line or is a bit distasteful or sexist or, or whatever and... In that, unfortunately, and I'm, I'm pointing the finger at myself, I'm part of this problem as well. In that moment, uh, a lot of us, I think, find it too hard to raise the flag and go, no, no, sorry, you, you can't do that. And I notice there's these ads now, you know, a group of guys in a pub and a guy sort of is terribly insulting to his wife and someone pulls him up on that. Like, I like to think I'm pretty PC and... You know, I, I understand the feminist point of view, but in those, uh, in those clinch moments, I've been guilty of just going along with the group too because it's easier and causes less discomfort. Do you think you've done that? I'm sure I have. And it, it stretches beyond the relationship between men and women. Have I been in a group where somebody has used derogatory racist terms? You know what? I have been. But probably in the last three or four years, I will pull people up. and On the racist stuff? 
Yeah, it, particularly on um, derogatory uh, discussions about Aboriginals. I'm quite strong about it. I'm quite, yeah. I'm quite strong. I, I don't like the three-letter term for an Aboriginal. I find it a, I find it really. Oh, it's been a long time since anyone used that. I reckon publicly, but not yeah. privately. But but see, I, I want to just let me chip in here. I, I think that that I agree with you. That's our N word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I I think the um the bar on that one has been raised for a while. I think the gender one is a lot more difficult for men. Yeah, you know what's you know what's become quite a difficult one, and I I had cause actually to intervene just because the discussion called for me to be ornery. Is you go out in the public, you have a beer or whatever. How much how, how much racism there is aimed towards, and how much ill feeling there is raised towards Indians in Australia. We've had an influx of Indian migrants, and may it be a taxi ride or an Uber trip. You can be sure if somebody's going to relay that story and start talking about the driver, we're soon going to descend into some racist claptrap about mm. Indian people. My, my point here... Oh, just on that, just... Yeah. I, now, I had cause to intervene about a year ago. I was amongst a group of people, and there was a girl speaking. And she said how, you know, she didn't like taking taxis because of the Indian drivers. And people were just listening to her and nodding and, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she said uh, she feels really uncomfortable that, she, that the guy was leering at her. And then she said, they're all pervs. They're all perverts. And I hadn't said anything in discussion. I said, all Indians. She goes, yeah. I said, you know, that is incredible. There's 1.2 billion of them and you've met them all. You know you know all of them? And she goes, you know what I'm talking about. And I said, don't use the word all to describe anybody. Give us your experience, but don't taint an entire people, in this case 1.2 billion, with the one brush. But again, yeah, no, I, I, I think that's fair enough. But again, you're talking about... Race, I think the gender issue, men find it far harder to stand up and say something about. Now, what? Why is that? Yeah, I don't. You don't. Th- you don't think no. so? No. Oh, gee, I do. You know, I, I, I think that. Um, I look. I, I've, I've got to say this: that I'm probably rarely in a in an all male situation anymore in my life. Yeah. And as long as there's one female or a couple of females around, a people are less prone to, you know, enter into that misogynistic diatribe, mm. and B, they're going to get pulled up on it so quickly, because one thing, women are not scared now to stand up for themselves. My God, my daughter, you know, I have said things that I honestly do not believe are, are sexist, misogynistic in any way, mm. and she jumps down my throat yeah, no, on everything. No, ditto. My, my daughter's exactly the same. Um but I, look, with this, a few women have sort of come out and, and uh, I'll, I'll name them, um, Michelle Laurie spoke about it on Triple M from a sort of a, try to explain sort of why what happened was so distasteful for women and I thought that was good. Yep. And Clementine Ford, who um, really cops it from, from men, she's, you know, she's a very, very strong, highly opinionated uh, writer for Fairfax and, you know, m- most of, I'd say, 80% of what she writes about 
tends to be feminist issues and ah jeez man there's some of the crap that she cops on social media but i've got to say i i like most of her stuff and i thought she wrote a really good piece on this too but it was when uh, her or those two women and others started talking about you know what was actually being made fun of and they were talking about the invasiveness of that procedure and and this is something I think that makes it difficult for men because you know we, we, our physiology is different, so we we can't experience that. But the the invasiveness of having those sort of gynecological procedures, and the amount of um, the amount of uh, psychological sort of the the amount of psyching up that they have to do to go through that is something not to be trifled with. And I feel like after taking that on board, I understand that a bit better than I did last week. Does that make sense? Yes, yeah, yeah. And, I, I, and okay, so putting that in a broader context, I, and in terms of how do we make this situation better, turning around and just sacking one guy isn't going to change anything. If you're talking about actually change, effectively changing a culture and making it more inclusive and men being more sensitive to how women feel about this sort of stuff, I think we have to be prepared as men to really sit down and stop and think and read and take this stuff on board and attempt to almost sort of put ourselves in, in their shoes. And I don't know how you make half the population do that because I think in terms of race issues – People are have been more prepared to stop and listen and see it from another point of view. I don't think they've been so prepared with gender issues. And um, I think until men as a group are more inclined to do that, that these sort of things are going to continue to crop up most prominently in male-dominated sporting fields. You ask how do we... Engineer change, or how does change happen? Well, you know what? Often the best way to create change is not by forcing an idea down somebody's throat. It's by the sort of subliminal subtlety of something that they don't realise is teaching them. And satire and humour is often the best way. So my closing statement on this was last night I was watching a Netflix cartoon series that very few people have seen. I think it's been discontinued, which is a pity. It's called F is for Family, and it's very funny. It's set in 1973, and the main character, Frank, had just bought a new colour TV for his family, takes it home, the whole family's sitting around, he's flicking the channels, and he gets onto a show and it starts with that typical 70s music, and it's... Time to join Jeff Jefferson and the Women's Hour. And it goes on to this panel of four people, one guy and three women, and he's the host. And he says, well, this is the platform for feminism on American TV. And he turns around to the three women. He goes, we've got three very sexy ladies in tonight. <laughs> and he talks and he goes, tonight we're talking about women in the workplace. And the first woman <laughs> leans forward and says, I want to talk about Equality of pay for women in the workplace. And he goes, you're a beautiful, 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 sexy lady. But seriously. And then Frank just turns it off and goes, this is rubbish. Yeah, right. 
Yeah. You know, then he turns around and the three go, we've got three very sexy ladies. Well, there you go. Like, I just laughed at what you said, and I can I can visualise now someone saying, well, you laughed then. Well, I laughed then in a black humour sort of way. I'm saying, but that is sort of way, yeah. that's the sort of obvious, you know. That I guess, not, yeah, no. I the think... humour there is you've got an obviously sexist guy hosting a feminist yep. show in the 70s, and yep. they thought that that was acceptable. And I think what you're saying is actually spot on when it comes to changing attitudes. Humour is a good vehicle but black humor you know humor that, that is there is such a ridiculous yeah. contrast of ideas that even the dumbest among us can't help but see that yeah. and we contradiction. don't and we don't want to be the jeff jefferson in 10 years laughed at by everybody for our attitudes so yeah. it is a way of change yeah and and look last comment on this uh, I love women. I, I think we all love women. Um, I do we. I love women. I love women who <laughs> if, love. If you don't love women, that's okay as well. I love women who love football. Uh, I love them being part of football and the discussion about football. And I want to. Uh, I don't want to imperil that, and I, I want that to um, be, become more and more a part of the football world. So I think we need to change on this stuff. I do not love all women who love and talk about football, as I do not love all men who love and talk about football. I take each case by case, and gender doesn't factor into my analysis. Okay, no, fair enough. It was a broad brush comment. All right, uh, well, there you go. We've tried to have a nuanced discussion about the Barry Hall saga. Uh, interested in your feedback, if you heard it, uh, and your thoughts, and... Feel free to, uh, what you, can you do? You can leave a comment under the podcast on the footyology.com.au site. You can tweet me at Rowan underscore Connolly and I'll pass it on to Finey because he won't use his Twitter account. And can I add, Rowan, yes. you are a very sexy man. Yes, thank you, Mark. <laughs> Let's move on. On Footyology, previews with Punch. Rightio, another massive round. Some huge games this week. Some really good games too. Let's uh, kick it off Thursday evening at the SCG. Another one of the Thursday night games. It's a big one. The Swans taking on the Cats. Finey. Well, you know what? Every time you think the Swans are through the bubble here, you know, busted through the and really set themselves up to be a major challenger. They take a step or two back. And interestingly, a couple of times this year it has been at the SCG. Mm. Likewise, every time I thought the Cats are about to join the group of the also-rans, they put in a performance full of merit and you elevate them again. So I'm going to try and get ahead of the curve and tip an upset here. I don't think Sydney are great at the SCG. Mm. I think Geelong will really be stung by recent performances. The SCG allows you to make the contest. And it's like in the last couple of years, there's been time where Geelong haven't tackled enough, and the next week they've come out and, you know, broken previous records. I think they come out this week, put the pressure on the Swans, and get the win. Yeah, I've toyed with the idea. I mean, the Swans also without Heaney this week and uh, Rowan as well. I think, uh, you know, reasonably important losses. Uh, And you're right about the SCG factor. So why am I sticking with the Swans? Because I think uh, I have fewer doubts about the Swans than I do about the Cats in terms of reliability. I think what you're saying, every chance that could happen... But I could also see the Swans really putting out a, a big performance as well. I'm going for the Swans by okay. a kick. Um, the, I'll say the SCG, 
because of the tight confines, I expect Selwood, Dangerfield or Ablett to be one of them or more to be in just about every contest. Okay. Friday night, um, MCG Richmond taking on Adelaide. The venue is, of course, the same one on which the grand final was played and hopefully for the Crows, not the same result. Um, but got to be honest, pretty hard to see anything else happening. Um Great effort by the Crows last week. I mean, their season was done and dusted at three-quarter time and, and probably saved their season with that. And the Tigers, well, they just, you know, keep on keeping on, don't they? Pulled out another power pack last quarter against the Swans. I think they've created a bit of a gap between themselves and the rest, going for a record 17th straight win at the MCG, and I think they'll get it reasonably comfortably. Los Tigres, you know, I'm really embracing the World Cup. Every every nation, like we're the Socceroos, they have sort of a a team name. Yeah. Der Mannschaft, the Germans, the something Stella, Stella Compañías, the Argentinians. Richmond are that good. They deserve like a collective name, I think. Like? Los Tigres. <laughs> well, how do you think Los Tigres will go? I think they're through their sort of half season and a bit of fiddling around. I think last week we saw that they are ready to point the boat straight at back-to-back. They're going to be playing at a higher level for the rest of the year and Adelaide will be absolutely no problem at the MCG. Richmond, not the margin, the factor, comfortably. Okay, so Los Tigres for both Finey and myself. Uh, Saturday afternoon, one forty-five up at the Gabba, and I'm looking at this, and I'm, I'm on the AFL Live app. It's got 17th, the 18th, and uh, immediately I'm trying to imagine the old Channel 10 man from Snowy River voiceover bloke trying to make this game sound really important and failing dismally. Um, however, all jokes aside, uh, Lions, what a performance. It probably wasn't talked about enough, really. I mean, not only did they break through for a second win of the season, they did it in Perth. Uh, they were really, really impressive. And, and I think um, it's been i think it's been three years since they won back-to-back wins. Well, they're going to get it here because um, they're better than Carlton and they're at home. I can't remember the name of the projected number one draft pick. It's like Julio Iglesias or something. It's something a little bit fancy. Is is this the Julio Iglesias Cup? You oh, know? yeah, it's always got to be a cup, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, Carlton will be confirmed as wooden spooners. An unthinkable thought back in the 80s. Does it confirm him? That would be a two-game gap with yeah. seven to go. Yeah, probably. Yeah, that's for me. Yeah, Brisbane. Okay. Uh, Saturday twilight. Uh, Port Adelaide taking on St Kilda, 4.35pm uh, Melbourne time. At Adelaide Oval, um, the Saints two in a row, finally starting to uh, all starting to come good, but it's been two by two, I think. What do you mean? They won them both by two points. Ah, oh, got it. Yeah, um, but the power for me are looking very, very ominous indeed. I reckon the power are going to end up with the top four spot, and I reckon once they get it, they are some sort of chance of really doing something this September. So. I think this is an opportunity they won't slip up on. Um, of course, this was the game last year, wasn't it, where the Saints... Wingard. 
uh, oh, Robbie, Robbie, Gray. Sorry, Robbie Gray from Ryder. Pad, Paddy Ryder over the back, yeah. yeah. So you'll remember that one with some degree of pain. Uh, look, you'd have to give the Saints some sort of chance given those two wins and particularly good against the Demons. But I think the power really starting to crank up here and they'll win pretty comfortably. Yeah, I think St Kilda supporters are just hoping for another uh, sort of accountable performance and one where if Port Adelaide took anything for granted, they would be punished. I'm assuming the Port will not take anything for granted, not least reason the one that you just pointed out. Last year, the same game went down to the wire. So Port, to be serious in their... Uh, ex- serious in expecting St Kilda to provide some stiff opposition to win. Port. Okay, Saturday evening, Etihad Stadium, 7.25, Western Bulldogs taking on Hawthorne. Now, this is a game that is looking a lot more appetising yes, than it was a couple careful, of weeks Hawthorne. ago. Absolutely. And I mean, they'll, they'll obviously be across this, but the Bulldogs of the last two weeks are pretty similar to the Bulldogs of 2016, a different proposition entirely, despite the fact they're missing about half their list injured. Um, and the Hawks, uh, yeah, the Hawks weren't so great last week. How do you see this panning out? Yeah, I think Hawthorne can win it. A little bit more firepower. Hawthorne played GWS, and they, you know what? GWS did win the game, and they won it in the end sort of comfortably. But I still think Hawthorne showed that they have enough firepower to be respected. I think they can get over the Bulldogs. Yeah, I'm, I'm going for the Hawks. I mean, I, I still think Hawthorne will make the finals. Their run home is, is the best of anyone's, and these are the sort of games they've got to but put this in would the have bank. Been, this would have been factored in as part of a good run home, so they yeah. must win it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, Hawks are both of us. All right, let's move on. And 7.40 in Darwin at TIO Oval, Melbourne taking on Fremantle, and uh, boy, three weeks have changed perceptions of the Demons. They'd won six in a row, they were third on the ladder, they were shoe-ins for the top four, all of a sudden they're seventh, in the eight on percentage only, and uh, having to travel to Darwin, which always, you know, um, throws another thing to consider into the equation. However, finally, they are taking on a Fremantle without Nat Fife without Aaron Sandlins, and which last week lost at home to Brisbane. Find it impossible to tip the Dockers. Melbourne simply must win, and they will win. Yeah, you tip Freo when they've got all their star players playing. But, you know, fee, no fife, foe, they're done. Yeah, hum. Fee, no fife, foe. We'll win Melbourne for mine. Okay, Sunday... And the Giants not playing either. <laughs> Sunday, Andre. Sunday uh, at Etihad Stadium, one ten pm North Melbourne taking on Gold Coast. Uh, the Roos lost a bit of an epic last week against the Bombers. High-scoring football at its best. And the Suns lost their ninth... Game in a row, and once again turned up for about a quarter and a bit, and then pretty much packed it in. So, um, I've got memories of Gold. Did Gold Coast beat North at this venue? They might have, but uh, they're not going to do it this time. North don't want to undo all that hard work of earlier in the season. Need to win games like this, and I think the Suns. Yeah, look, picked up the Peril Sun this morning, and the back page picture is uh, Tom Lynch wearing a Hawthorne guernsey. So. Um, they've got a few distractions going on at the Digitally moment. Digitally altered image. Yeah, gee, you don't see that too often these days. There's another one for me to watch. 
Um, I think North will uh, make mincemeat of them, to be honest. Uh, the tip here is obvious, North Melbourne, but it is my... I take this game to send my annual salvo across the bowels of the following. Up yours, Patrick Smith. Up yours, Caroline Wilson. You pair of AFL toadies that were part of the push to get North Melbourne to move to the Gold Coast and become the Gold Coast Kangaroos. It didn't work, and all your reasons why it should have happened have proved to be absolutely false and misguided. Up yours, the pair of you. Okay. Um, let's move on to 3.20 at the MCG. This is the game of the round for mine. Funnily well, enough... Is, does it include Essendon? Uh, it does include Essendon. And it's a game between second on the ladder and 12th on the ladder, but... Given the form lines, Bombers have won five of their last six now. Pies have won their last six. Uh, injuries starting to become a factor for Collingwood. They lost Treward. Now they've lost Dunn. Ben Reid, another setback for him. So starting to lose some important players structurally. Uh, Gold Coast win less impressive than others in this sequence. Bombers, uh, they've struck the brand of footy they need to play. It's It's quick. I think their pace worries most sides. Um, the defensive pressure enables them to exploit that pace, particularly uh, the rebound of McKenna and Sard off halfback. Anzac Day, uh, Collingwood had it all over the Dons, but that was a, a different and very, very inferior model of Essendon. Now, uh, I, I again say this uh, with much reservation given my tipping record, but I did get the Dons right last week for possibly the second time of the year. Uh, this will be an upset, but I think the Bombers uh, are playing good enough footy to win, and I think the Pies might be due to drop one. So by a kick, I'm going for the Bombers. Ditto. Come on, give us a, a bit of an explanation. I really like that explanation. I think Collingwood have been up for a while, so I'm not scared to tip against them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Trelaw not being in the team will in the end count against them and they might have got away against the Gold Coast but that's not really uh, something that you carry on as a form guide for any other match of the season I wouldn't have thought at the present I think Essendon are playing well I think MCG suits their run gun style and I've got no qualms tipping Essendon I really hope it's a close game because if it is, then sort of that Essendon-Collingwood expectation pre-Anzac Day, maybe a final, you know, we're back to one of the big games of the season. So let's hope it's a ripper. Essendon for mine. Hear, hear. All right, and the uh, Round 16 wraps up with another big game. Uh, West Coast taking on GWS in Perth, 4.40 Eastern uh, Standard Time. I was about to say Seaboard again. Uh, big game for both clubs. The Giants really getting on a roll now, and, and they're up to sixth on the ladder as a result and looking to improve that. Uh, and the Eagles in a bit of trouble. Three losses in a row. Still no Kennedy, still no Darling, still no Lacroix, and now no Liam Ryan. So they're losing virtually their entire forward setup. That said, Finey, I thought um, without winning the game, I thought they were terrific against the Crows, and I think had they held on, that would have been considered an outstanding win given the manpower issues. Um, and I, I reckon uh, I reckon they're going to win this. I reckon a, a win here is absolutely crucial. They've slipped to third. I think even they would probably concede cannot win a flag unless they get a home final and, and perhaps a double chance. They have to stay 
top four. And I think the way they played against the Crows away was good enough to suggest that at home uh, they will win this and it would be a, an important loss for the Giants too. But I reckon the Eagles will win. I'm really vacillating on this one because I know that the Giants have the personnel to win this game. You're Vaz Vassalooing on this one. Remember I've got Vaz Vassalou. Yeah. I've got a good Vaz Vassalou story. Yes, so have I. I think we've done this before. Peter Dacos kicking a goal that bounced off Vaz Vassalou's head at Arden Street. No, mine was going to Geelong. We used to go there before the start of the reserves games, yeah. and Vaz was given a, a reserve game. He'd only had a couple of senior games at that point in his life, but I knew who he was. Swarthy with that big mo. And the umpires ran on the ground. There were very few people there in attendance. And I yelled over, Vaz, Vaz! And he actually ran over to the boundary. Oh, and I stuck the two fingers up and said, get... Oh, did you? Yeah, it was a horrible child. Oh, um, clearly. An umpire hater. Uh, yeah, I'm vacillating on this one. Well, and, vacillate no more because we need a tip. Look, I'm going to go for West Coast because even though Giants are the personnel, I don't believe they've got the intestinal fortitude or the the group psych to win this game. And at some point, things get tough invariably at Subiaco, or given that they don't play there anymore, at Optus. But things in the West require a strong mental attitude from the visiting team, and I don't think they've got it. Okay, Eagles for both of us. That is previews with punch. Let's bring it on home. On footyology, never again. All right, I'm going to be quick with this one. Um, you know, we can all get a bit emotional watching our teams, and it's okay when you're actually in a crowd of 40, 50-odd thousand. It's different when you're at home, though, and unfortunately, finding I've never really adjusted my uh, barracking modus operandi suitably, which meant that last Sunday in that Essendon North epic, uh, I was getting a bit fired up towards the end there, and uh, unfortunately, I left my study door open, and uh, my stepson, Sam's uh, girlfriend, Chrissy managed to overhear some of my carrying on, and it wasn't pretty, and it was suitably embarrassing. So never again, uh, you think I'm going to say never again will I barrack like that? Oh, no, I will barrack like that. But never again will I barrack like that without the study door closed. I hear you, brother. I watch games at home, and normally I can only get 15 minutes in before my wife goes, that's it, go to the pub. <laughs> All right, what's your never again? My never again is a real never again, and it, it, it's it's a bit sad because back in the day, those days where I used to catch trains to Geelong at 9am in the morning to be there for the start of the reserves, uh, I always used to catch a train from McKinnon to Flinders Street, and then from Flinders Street, either trams or trains to the various AFL or then VFL grounds, and I always had morning tea or lunch on the platform, one of the kiosks on the platform. And I think today is the last day. All those food kiosks, except I think the kiosk on Platform 1, which is Heritage listed, are being closed down for OH&S reasons. Mm. So never again, as I'm running late for a footy train, can I grab a Violet Crumble, can of Coke, or even a horribly oversteamed Dim Sim from the platform kiosk. Today's the last ever day. Never again. That is sad. Oh, R.I.P. And uh, you made me think, I used to meet my mates when we were going to games at Windy Hill. We'd all come from our various train lines. I'd come from the Caulfield station. We'd all assemble on the Broad Meadows platform at Flinders Street. Yep. And we had a ritual. We had to get a hot chocolate out of the vending machine there. Well, you see, I love the vending machine. You got the hot chocolate, but I got the lime cordial 
with the crushed ice. It was just a little plastic. <laughs> it was a little plastic sort of cafe bar cup. Yeah. Twenty cents. Yeah. And I loved that lime cordial with that crushed ice. Yeah. Last night when I went shopping, I bought the lime cordial. Almost because I've been preconditioned by those vending machines at Flinders Street. Oh, They're I, long gone as well. I love those rituals. So, uh, yeah, pre-game ritual. And then the way home, it was when we arrived. Back, I arrived back at Caulfield Station, had to go to the Chinese takeaway and get three steam, steamed dim sims to eat on the tram all the way Is that home. that right, right on the corner? Uh, so a corner it, Chinese? It was second from the corner, on the corner of Derby Road. Yes. Where the tram, the number three tram goes. <laughs> oh, those were the days. Very 70s, this sort of reminiscing, funny. And great. Uh, we are sort of stuck in the 70s. Um, when, we'll Chinese, when Chinese restaurants had a little added bit at the end on their menu, Australian menu. Do you remember that? They had all the Chinese dishes, but for those... Oh, steak and eggs and yeah, stuff. Yeah, it was like yeah, for yeah. a family where the father refused to eat the Asian. <laughs> yeah. You can still come because we've got steak and eggs... Steak and chips, lamb's fry and chips, or something uh, like that. Rip it, Uh we, we are stuck in the 70s. Have a good weekend of footy, everyone. We'll see you next Hang week. Hang on just a sec. If we're stuck in the 70s, yeah. how about this music to take us out? Okay. <laughs>